are listening to the official podcast of Resurgence Initiatives, inspiring people to arise together. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com. that's on our heart tonight, every worry, every concern, every bit of anxiety. We just place it on you. I thank you that the healer is here tonight. I thank you for healing in bodies tonight. I thank you for healing in minds tonight. I thank you where there's hopelessness, you're you're breaking through tonight. I thank you where there's things that seem impossible to man, but nothing is impossible with you. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're moving in this place tonight. I thank you that it's not an accident that we're here, that the right people are in the right room, that you called us for such a time as this. And I thank you that you want to move on every every one of us tonight. I thank you that not one of us is too far away from your love, from your presence, from what you want to do. And I just thank you that you are here. So from the left to the right, from the front all the way to the back of the balcony, I thank you that your presence is here. And I just pray that the love of God right now would fill every mind, it would fill every heart, and it would fill every body. I pray an undeniable peace to enter every mind and every heart right now. I pray hope. Right now, I pray joy, not a joy found in us, but the joy of the Lord to be our strength right now. I just thank you, God, you're doing something new, you're doing something fresh. I break off cynicism, I break off doubt, I break off fear, I break off shame, because that's not in your presence. And I just thank you that there's a freedom in this place tonight. I thank you that there's a freedom in this place tonight. I thank you that there's a freedom in this place tonight. I thank you that your anointing is in this place to break every bit of slavery, every bit of bondage. Father, where there's addiction, we just break that off right now in Jesus' name. Hopeless thoughts, I break that off. Suicidal thoughts, we break that off. Depression, you have no right. Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're our focus tonight. You're our gaze tonight. We just rest. We're at home with you tonight. We just want to rest in your presence tonight. leave the lights the way they are Clarence that's great and um, thanks guys so appreciate our team our worship teams that have faithfully served every resurgence this year and I know I thank so many others and but our sound our media um, our staff Lauren serves on our staff our team our lead team but also our worship teams that just uh, work so hard come so early and do so much to make resurgence amazing give it up for our worship teams and Well, I uh, want to um, just start by honoring somebody, um, a man of God that I had the opportunity to meet uh, that went into glory today. 
and uh, he is a general. Uh, I consider him a general. I've read some reports today that he's, he's in church history, the greatest soul winner in church history, they're saying, for fruit and for souls. He, his name is Reinhard Bonnke, and Reinhard Bonnke uh, went to be with Jesus today, and he was a German evangelist, called at a young age, and uh, went to Africa because God called him to Africa. And his first few years in Africa were incredibly hard. But God gave him this picture of a blood-filled Africa from, from all over Africa that the blood of Jesus would cover it. And so he believed contending, believing for the continent of Africa. At one season, he had the largest outside tent that he, you could ever be made. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records. A tornado ripped through that tent, and he lost that tent. And God says, my glory will be your canopy. Just gather people on fields. And in Nigeria alone, I think they had 1.6 million on a field. Um, and so he's not known much in North America but 79, between 76 and 79 million first-time decisions for Jesus came through this man, which is absolutely incredible. And so you can do your statistics. You can try to figure it out. I have met with their team. They have decision cards for those 79 million people. They, 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 it's documented. And um, it's incredible, the Crusades of Christ for All Nations. Uh, many years ago, I was watching TV, and I'm watching Reinhard Bonnke again. I didn't know him. He lives in Florida now. And he's giving his ministry over to this guy, Daniel Kalinda. And I'm thinking, okay, Daniel's his son-in-law. He's connected. He's related. And, and I look, like Googled it, Wikipedia, it's like there's no relation. And I'm like, this is incredible. You're handing off. You're such an empowering leader. And I was mesmerized, and I, God says, you're going to meet him. And I said, okay, how am I going to meet him? You know, I live here. That's not possible. And um, through a series of events, I, I have not shared the story publicly, but in 2013, I was at a, an event with Reinhard Bonnke. And I was sitting there in a room of 300 people, and he shared, and he said, does anyone have a question? Come and ask a question. And on the stage was Reinhardt and Daniel and a bunch of the other speakers. And um, I lined up down an aisle, and I was going to ask him, how do you deal with finances and ministry and all these things? That was what I wanted to ask. And I got about halfway down the aisle, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me so clearly and says, don't ask that question. And I was like, okay, then what am I going to do? I have the mic and five, five people. I'm going to, like, what am I going to do? And he's like, honor him. And so I got to the front, and I just said, I'm here because I saw you on TV, and I honor you for how you showed handing a baton on. And tell me about that. Tell me what. And, and this is what happened. The, the, I can tell you this doesn't happen to me very often. I could feel the Holy Spirit fall in the room. There was like a... Um, like just I was vibrating as I spoke. And then he stood on the stage and he was like given these one-liners, like he's really good at one-liners. They're like, like, what are you gonna do at the end of your life? He's like, I'm like a jumbo jet. I get faster and I get louder near the end of the runway. And then it's like, <laughs> next question, you know? And I mean, it was just these like, <laughs> everybody's just getting like shut down with one-liners. So I'm expecting this one-liner, powerful. And he goes, he, he stands up and he's like, you've touched me. 
The Spirit of God is in this room. And then he goes on for about 20 minutes to talk about how God put on his heart that his ministry isn't about him, it's about another generation. And then Daniel shared. And then, and so I'm just like, there was a, like a holy moment. And I go to sit down and, and right from the stage, Daniel or Reinhardt comes right off the stage and he goes, who are you? I want to meet you. And so we met and the next night we go for dinner and we're sitting at the keg having dinner together, hearing his story, hearing him pour into me, and it was a, it was a gift. And it was a gift. The next day I'm walking at the airport. Who do I see? Reinhard Bonnke. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and it's just incredible. And, and so, so it's sad news to see him go. A few years ago he got throat cancer, which is incredible. And you know that the enemy is trying to attack him because he's preached to so many and uh, he's seen the power of the Holy Spirit in mass meetings where he'll release the fire of God and wheelchairs. And, I mean, it's just incredible. And Daniel is doing incredible work. But I just wanted to honor him because he's a general that we lost today. But he's in heaven. And um, I think generals like this we should look to. If you want a book to read, it's really thick. It's called Living a Life of Fire. It's really long, but it's an incredible autobiography by him. I, I recommend it highly. And um, his story is inspiring. And what's cool is he, he credits David Livingston, who went to Africa and saw maybe no salvations they document. And he said it's because of David Livingston wrote in his journal, someday somebody will come to Africa and see many souls. And he's like, it's because of those that have gone before me. And so it's just really cool. I think we're all moving forward because of generals like this. And so um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I, I want to speak tonight on the subject of humility. And it's something I feel that is so key that we need to hear, we need to talk about. I believe it's key to not only our personal lives, but actually our ministry and what God wants to do in this city and beyond. And in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 2, it's on the screen if you don't have your Bible. It says, and Jesus, and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you reveal, revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven." for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus shares the virtue first, the virtue of humility first, being poor in spirit. What is interesting is that underlies all others that come in the Beatitudes. And, you know, St. Augustine, one of the famous church fathers, a celebrated church fathers, they asked him, they said, what makes the Christian religion, or, you know, what makes them, what's the most important thing about the Christian religion? And St. Augustine said this, his answer was humility. And then the person said, well, what's the second most important thing? And he said, humility. They said, what's the third most important thing, Augustine? Humility. See, what really is humility? Um, I think humility is having a sense of um, perspective about oneself. 
It's having a, a, and one's value instead of a perceived value, instead of a marketing value, instead of a promotional ploy about oneself based on other things. It's knowing the correct version of who you are. It's the narrative in your head that is formed by your value in him. It's the story in your head that he forms, um, what you tell yourself about yourself. See, humility is interesting if I get up here and say, I'm really humble. I'm so humble. Then you're like, he's not very humble. Right? It's a so weird thing. It's like sometimes I think we think we can put the suit of humility on. Like, I'm going to put my suit of humility on. I think humility is actually taking off the suit. It's taking off the mask. It's taking off the roles that we can put on. And it's actually being real. It's the real us. See, it's the opposite. It's, it's not a facial expression. It's not rich people wearing poor clothes. It's, it's not um, an inner, it's an inner awareness of fr um, frailty. It's an inner awareness of who we are. It's, it's humility is right, having the right perspective of what God thinks about us, about what God values about us, of who we are in God, whose we are and who we are. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, and humility. I think we have that verse, Colossians 3.12. Yeah, perfect. Um, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dear love, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That word humility is this, is this Greek word for, and I, I'm going to butcher it, but it's called tepinofrosun, whatever. Okay. Got it? You got it? Okay, good. Um, and it's the compound word for the, the, it's a compound word. And the first part is tape in or uh, tape in. And that really means low to the ground. The second part is friend. And, and, and that's actually the gut or the diaphragm. And in that day, they thought the mind was actually where thought was located there. The, the, the mind was actually here. They thought it was in your diaphragm. So they're like, stay low, stay self-smallness. It was this, this idea of being low. It talks about to think of oneself with a solid proportion, being small. And I believe 2020, as I shared, is a year for breakthrough. A year for breakthrough for many personally, but a year for breakthrough for us as resurgence. A year for breakthrough. 2020 is a significant year. I just so believe that. And I so believe God's speaking to so many about that. And here's the reality. I believe that humility will find a door of breakthrough for you. Humility will also get you through the door of breakthrough. But what's going to keep you, what's going to sustain the breakthrough is going to be humility. That it can do all those things, but what's going to happen when we get the breakthrough? It, we have to be humble. We have to have a humble mind, a humble heart. See, humility is the key to sustaining the move, the miracle, the gift, the thing that God is going to do in you. Humility is going to be the key to sustain it. See, if we don't have a heart of humility, the breakthrough, the very blessing, the very dream, the desire, I think will actually hurt us if we don't have humility. So many times we pray for God's favor, God's breakthrough, God's um, situation to move. And, and I've seen it so many times, the very breakthrough actually takes us away from God, not closer to God. So we want the dream career, and then we get the dream, God, give us the dream career. We get the dream career, and all of a sudden we don't have time for church anymore. We don't have time to read our Bible anymore. We don't have time. It's the very thing we prayed for and God gave us takes us away. We, we, we ask for the finances, and we get the finances, and all of a sudden we're too busy trying to figure out what we're going to spend on ourselves, and we, we don't worship him anymore. 
We, we want the relationship. We get the person that we want, and then we actually don't have time for him anymore because, oh, it's so busy, and the kids and everyone else, and life goes on, and, oh, we can't go to church anymore. We can't serve God anymore because life's too busy. The very thing that we pray and God gives, we can't steward it, and we don't know how to hold it. And I think we, we have to know this idea of humility um, because it's not about us, it's about him. It's not about us. This whole thing, everything, our lives are not about us. Psalms 37 declares this, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like a noonday sun. I like that if you delight. The word delight, when you look it up, means pliable, soft. It also means to be pampered. <laughs> All the ladies are like, spa day, you know? It's like pampered in the Lord. God's taking you on a spa day, you know? Um, th there's, there's, this, there's this delight. There's this to receive. To actually delight, you have to receive. That you're good enough to receive, that God loves you, that he wants to do good things in you. See, there's something about delighting, and I think, you know, I'm convinced when we delight, he actually gives us a new heart, his heart. See, I think sometimes we skip the delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires. Okay, thanks for the desires. I want the desires of my heart. Thank you, Lord. That's what I'm after. I think we speed that up too quick and we miss the delight because we're not delighting and it's not changing our heart and it's not his heart. It's our desires. It, it's, we're, we're not delighting ourselves in the Lord. We're not pampering ourselves. We're not able to receive what he wants to do. We just want what we want to do. And I think humility is saying, I'm going to delight myself first. I'm going to stop at the delight. And God, what's the desire? See, every marriage, every dream, every calling, every idea is more about serving him than our, his purpose than serving ourselves. Finding a spouse isn't about uh, just so one feels better and has a nice life. Finding a spouse is actually so you, you, you do the, king, the, the kingdom of God will advance through you both. That's what it's about. And, and yes, there's going to be enjoyment and it's going to be good and all those things, but what's the primary focus? The primary focus is his kingdom moves forward, that the purpose God has put in your heart is fulfilled and together you fulfill purpose on this earth. It's not just to be together, it's that you delight in the Lord first. In everything we do, every dream, every career, see, it's not about our careers or what we do, it's about our purpose. We can do any career, but we can fulfill the purpose. What's the purpose God has called you to do? That's what has to be key. That's what has to be first, because it's about him, not us. And, you know, I think of David. <laughs> David wrote the psalm that we're talking about, delighting in the Lord, and he's out in the back 40, <laughs> He's out in the back 40, you know, probably singing Waymaker, Promise Keeper. You know, even when I don't know that you're moving, even when I don't feel it, you never leave me. I mean, he's out there singing this. He's just, he's just out there with the sheep, chilling out there. He's got father wounds because his dad forgot to bring him to the, to the ceremony of anointing king, and he didn't get to come, but then he got to come, and he got it. But, he, you know, so he has this wound probably. Why'd my dad forget me? He didn't care about me, da, 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 all that stuff going on. And then his dad calls him and says, hey, you need to take food to the, to the guys at the, at the front lines. And he obeys his father, even though he's probably got some wounds there. He obeys him and goes there. And here's the thing. See, David was in process. 
What David was doing in the pack 40 was he was in process. He was learning who God was. He was learning God's voice. He was delighting himself in the Lord. He was in a place of rest in God because when stuff happened, he knew who Goliath was. He knew that Goliath was bad. He knew what God was saying. He knew all the things to do when the time came, but it was all in the back 40 where God developed him. I don't know about you, but I hate process. I want destination. I don't want journey. I don't want to go through tough stuff. I want easy. I want desires of heart, not the light stuff. I want, I want to just get there. I, I don't want this. And I've been stuck in process and I've gone through process. And it's like, I feel like sometimes it's like I just hit rewind and it's like I'm stuck on this song and it's called process. And it like, is there another song to the track? You know, and, and it's hard. But here's the thing. Um, Without learning to delight in him, we won't know him and we won't be able to actually uh, know what to do when he does give the desires of our heart, when he does give the breakthroughs, when things do happen. We won't recognize him because we won't really know him. See, so when we focus on us, um, my sin, my struggle, see, our faith, our relationship with God is flawed because it's inward focus. Our faith has to be about Jesus. Jesus saved me. It's not about my sin. It's about what Jesus did. It's about what Jesus is doing and wants to do. There's a river of life flowing out of us. When we ask Jesus into our heart, it's about more than us. It's about a river flowing out of us. We were made to change a world. You're here not just to be a lump in history and just sit on a, on a, on a stump and just let life go by, but you're here to change the world. Your life counts. The very DNA that you were created for, your very purpose is to not just do life, but to change the world, to create things to be a, cre a creator God invented creators we have people we can make the future we can create the future we can change things that's what we're here to do and here's the reality if we just um, let life go by and don't realize that then we're going to miss it and I think it takes a humble heart to realize that it's not about us it's about him that God has a purpose beyond us. You're here for bigger than your selfish hopes and selfish desires. I'm here for more than what I want to do. I'm here for God's plan. Um, spiritual gifts, prophecy, words of knowledge, healing, all these amazing things we read in the Bible. They're not for us. They're really great, but they're not for us. They're for us to use, to bless and build up and encourage and edify other people. That's the point of them. The point of power and ministry is to glorify God. Signs and wonders are incredible, but here's the reality. If you have mission without power, good luck. But if you have power without mission, that's like having no fruit. That's like having no, you have power, but you have nowhere to use it. Warm fuzzies are great, but that's not the point. If it's all about a warm fuzzy, we missed everything. It's about others. It's about changing. It's about what Scattered Saints is doing the other night, going in the mall, taking a risk, praying for people. It's like, this is crazy. We went one time and we're like, what do we do? And then we saw this guy in a wheelchair and says, Jesus. I'm like, just follow Jesus, you know? And, and, and we followed this guy and got to talk to him about Jesus. But that's scary. That's crazy. But that's what God's inside of us, not just for us, but for the river of living water flowing out of us. That's what humility teaches us. It's not about us. 
It's more than us. And see, the very blessing, if not to serve others, will actually hurt us. Favor, finances, relationships, anointing, influence, whatever that is, an amazing career. If it's not to serve better, um, then it's actually going to hurt us. Because, see, serving is an act of humility. It's not about us. It's about him. And I, and I read, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, a kingdom is established when instead of being self-centered, um, we get established in his kingdom because we become servants of all. It's not about us. It's about building his kingdom. Being a servant of all means I don't do something to try to get a return from it. That's against my business mind because I want to do something, and what are you going to do for me? How's it going to benefit me? But a true servant isn't doing it to get something back. Is doing it to give and to serve and to love, period and may never see the return of it. That's true service. See, I do something to serve because I see the value and the image of God in you. I see gold in you. I see purpose in you, and I call it forth for your sake. I want to empower you. I want to call you forth in a destiny. I want to release what's in, in you. You might not see it. You may see dirt. You may see impossibility, but my job is to just serve you and call forth the gold to your, and champion everything that's in your heart. That's what service looks like. Who do we champion around us? Who are we raising up around us? Who are we mentoring? Who are we pouring into? Well, I'm not a pastor. I can't mentor. Yeah, you can mentor. You, you've been through some stuff. You've been in the back 40 with David, and he's been through some stuff. You've been through process. Your process isn't about you. It's about now taking others through those tough seasons that you've been through. It's about bringing others along. See, I think when we walk in our humility, it's like a road. And in that road, there's two ditches to the road. And there's two ditches to this road. And one ditch is where I think of myself as bigger than I am. My story of myself is inflated. <laughs> it's marketing. <laughs> it's like, ah, it's, it's got everything. It's got big, big billboards and Facebook ads. And, uh, and I, I think more of myself than I am. I have an unhealthy view of myself. On that side of the road, I think I'm entitled. I feel entitled. I'm the main character in my story, and God is the supporting role. God, how are you helping me? God, I'm trying to get my dream done. God, I'm trying to get this relationship. God, where are you? I don't know where you are. You're supposed to be helping me. You're supposed to be assisting me. You're, I mean, I think all of us have had those thoughts. God, where are you? What's going on? I'm, I'm the main character, and you're supposed to do everything you can to help me and make my life wonderful. And I don't hear you. Why aren't you there? All those things. See, it's, it's pride-rooted. And you could put up the next slide. But um, you know what's interesting is between 1948 and 1954, 10,000 adolescents were surveyed. And 12% considered themselves very important. In 1989, 80% considered themselves very important. Here's, here's what's happening. There's the rise of a narcissistic attitude. Narcissism is, is huge right now. And Narciss was actually um, named after, he was a Greek, a Greek guy, a Greek mythology. He was a guy that actually looked at himself in the water one day, and he decided he really liked how he looked. And he really liked how he looked, and he really, really liked how he looked. He's like, I'm really good looking. And his friends are like, hey, let's go eat supper and he was, not, he was not leaving, and he didn't want to leave, and he actually starved to death looking at himself that day. 
and he, he just stopped. And that's how they, they got the word narcissism. And so that's, you know, we live in a society that's all about that. The gram propels us right now. It's friends, it's followers, it's people that, it, it's, it's how do I look, it's about me, it's all these things. The scores of, of narcissistic trends are off the charts today. If they, if they look at the studies of what kids are thinking about themselves today, it's all about us. It's about my looks, what I look like, me. And um, it's, it's really interesting. See, it's pride makes us reflect on our own image all the time in our heads. That's what it is. And, you know, Paul said in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. It's so true. And in 1976, they asked people their life goals. And in 1976... The, the 15th goal out of 16 at the bottom of the list was fame as a life goal. And in 2007, so this is still now 12 years ago, I'm guessing it's changed a lot since then, 51% said fame is one of the top goals. So we've gone from 15 to top the one. That's incredible. And I think this need to be famous, this need to be popular, this need, I think it's the new um, downfall. It's the new thing where it's like, well, we have to be famous. We have to try to inflate who we are. And it's rooted in pride. Pride is not thinking of too much of myself. Pride is thinking of myself far too much. That's what pride is. It causes self-promotion. I need to market myself. I need to build my brand. I need to, I need to create a platform. I need, to, I need to have the right people. I need to work it. I need to perform. I need to strive. I need to look really good. I need to climb the ladder. I got to do the right things so that I'll keep up with the Joneses, whoever they are, and I'll do all these things, and then I'll be okay. I'll get more followers. I'll get more likes. See, my value is determined by all of that and then not by him. And I think it's so easy to fall into that. You know, I, I, in Genesis, Adam and Eve are, are deceived by the serpent and the lie of the serpent. And, and they, you know, basically the serpent's like, you'll be like God if you eat the apple. And I think the lie was, can you really trust God? Does God really have your best interest? Does God really, is he really, can you really trust him? You need to do, the enemy's like, inserts this lie, like, you need to take care, no one can take care of you like you. Like, you have to, you have to do it yourself. You have to, like, take care of yourself, do things on your own. Is God really good? Will you get your purposes, your desires of your heart, will they happen on your own? Or self-promote, because no one else will take care of you. And it focuses on your strength, your doing, your performing. It introduces shame. And because of the eating of the apple, shame came in. And shame is this idea that you want to hide rather than be vulnerable and humble. Shame is the idea that you want to hide, that you want to hide every sinful pride wants us to hide every weakness and failure. And we go at any length to try to hide them. And now in the center of the road, so you have self-promotion on one side, can I really trust God? But then in the middle, you have humility. And I think humility is connected to trust. See, being on the road conditions me to trust him. I, I don't have to be my own defender. He defends me. I, I, I don't have to, I, humility leads us to hope that God has my future. He has my injustices. He takes care of me. I'm the supporting role of his story. I'm the supporting role of his story. He's the main character. What do I do to support him? I'm made in his image. I don't understand it all. I don't know the why things happen, but I'm okay with the mystery because he's in charge. 
See, that's, that's humility. I, I'm, I'm humbly okay with that. When the world sees us, they see childlike faith. They see someone secure. They see someone rested. They see someone confident in who they're created to be. They don't see someone trying or putting themselves down. They see someone who knows their value and is comfortable in their own skin. They see someone that's, that's there. See, when I'm vulnerable, I feel exposed, but that's actually so freeing because I don't have to hide anything. And if I don't have to ever worry that somebody's going to find out the truth because I am what you see. I, you know who I am, all those things. See, the most attractive person in the room is always the most humble people. We're always attracted to that. And you might not realize why, but you might be in a boardroom and see a bunch of people like, I like hanging out with that person. And, and a lot of times it's because they're the humble person in the room. They're not the one working in the room, trying to get all the connections. And it's like, you can see through that. It's like, you're just trying to connect with everybody in the room, handing out your business cards. Nobody wants to be that person. It's a mask for things. It's, and I'm not saying there's wrong to connect. I'm just saying it's, you can see humble people. And you want to be around humble people. They're secure. See, if you lead, I love Erwin McManus says this. He said, if you lead from your weakness and brokenness, you're always safe. If you lead from a perception of perfection, you're really fragile. You're really fragile. And you're waiting to be cracked. You're waiting to be broken. See, if we go to the other ditch, the other ditch of that road is um, self-deprecation, self-putting ourselves down. We live small and we call it humility. Oh, I'm humble. And we're actually not living the full value that God's called us to be. Our voices are silent. Our value is less than what he called us to do. We're not giving to justice to the very risen, resurrected power of Christ that's in our heart, but we're living less than that. And we're saying, oh, well, it's humility. No, it's not. It's living less than. It's poor as me attitude. It's a defeated attitude. It comes from hurt. It comes from fear. It comes from all those things. It's not the way God wants us to live. And we call this humility, but it's not. It's actually pride. It's about me. Oh, no, I'm not very good. No, none of us are very good. It's about him. So it's the same on the other side of the road. It's the same thing. It's pride. It's about us. It's all about us. And it's not giving full credit to him. See, in Genesis 1, I think, in, you know, God created mankind and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Reign and rule over all the animals. You're in charge. Adam, you're in charge of the garden. You rule, you create, you do all that. You're in charge of it. And here's the thing, I think, what happens when we're, um, when we're self-promoting is like, can I really trust God? But when we're self-deprecating, it's this idea of trust. Does God really trust me? See, when, when God says, I trust you to rule and reign and be fruitful and increase and multiply, he's giving authority, he's giving trust. He's saying, I trust you, Adam, do it. You're in charge. And I think the lie the enemy puts in is, does God really trust me? Does he really know me? If he actually knew my inadequacy, he wouldn't trust me. Does God really, and the enemy puts this lie in, I don't think God trusts me. Is God really good? I don't think, you know, all those things, the, the, those lies. And, and I think um, we live in a fear of what people think, not a fear of God, not understanding our authority to rule and reign under him. And it's a confidence for, see, I think humility is God trusts us, and in a reality, we can trust God. That's where humility happens. 
when God trusts us and we can, and I can trust him. That's humility. Um, Cause it's not about us. It's about him. And as I thought about this tonight, I, I was thinking of my own journey and heart stuff. And I think all of us go through seasons of heart health and how we develop and in our adolescent years and growing up. And, and I, and I remember I, I grew up in Edmonton. I grew up actually going to a church a couple blocks away here, Central Pentecostal Tabernacle. It's no longer there, um, but really close to here. And I, when I was uh, one years old, my mom was a teacher, so she sent me to a babysitter. At that babysitter, I met a friend. His name was Brian, and we bonded over Playmobil and Lego. And it was um, this incredible friendship. And so we went to Monster Truck uh, events and tractor pulls and demolition derbies and we spent every Friday and Saturday night building forts and we did all these cool things together and played cars and that's what we did from grade from one years old to um, end of elementary school. So every day we would hang out, we'd walk to school together, we went to the same babysitter together at lunch, so we ate lunch together. And I remember in grade three, he was my only friend. Like he, we just spent all the time together and we just, we had the same interests and all these things. And in grade three, I remember walking one day with him and he says, yeah, my mom's not feeling well and she was on the floor this morning. And her mom was, a, his mom was a top microbiologist at the U of A and I said, okay, that's weird. And you know, grade three, I'm like, that's kind of weird. And then shortly after, um, I, we got a call that his mom had overdosed on um, antidepressants and alcohol, and she was no longer alive. And so he was an only child, so that rocked him. That rocked his, his dad. And I remember they came to church with us the next Sunday, um, and they were sitting there, but they never really were churchgoers. And so they're there, and, and, and I remember that. And so then we continued to be friends all the way to grade six. But when grade six happened, they decided it was best to move away from our neighborhood and actually move to another city. And, and that was a fresh start for them. But that devastated me. Because I'm like, I don't have a friend. I'm going to a junior high school of 700 students, and I don't know us. Like, I know a couple people, but I got no friends. And I felt lonely, and I felt, what am I going to do? And I, and I got involved in church things, and I would hang out with people older. And I kind of, as I look now, I was always this kind of annoying little brother of my big brother. And I was always looking for attention. I was always like, like this kind of loud, annoying, kind of goofy with an Eskimos hat. But I, I look now, and it was me just trying to get approval. It was me actually just trying to get like, hey, I, I, look at me, you know? And it's funny, we look at that stuff now, and then, and then so that happens, and then during this time, um, I, get, I go to school, and it's just, it's just really hard, because I go, and I got this one Christian in my class, he goes to my church, I'm like, this is great. The problem was, he was in a season of rebelling from his parents, and so he would show up every day to school in those, you know those uh, long johns with the, like, the squares on them? They're like little waffle squares, but he had a onesie. So he just wore a onesie to school. And I think he thought he was cool. He's like, I just shot out a wall in my basement with my BB gun last night. I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm like, we're not, we're not connecting here. And, and then in math class, he's sitting at the back, and all of a sudden I remember it. He's like, hey, Christian in the front. Hey, Christian. I'm like, you go to the same church. Like, what are you... 
And he just started like bullying me and picking on me every day, every day. And I had to deal with this guy that actually goes to my church, that's actually all these things. I have no friends, and he's just like just railing. We go to YC, guess whose room I get put in? His room. Are you kidding me? I have to spend, so I'm in his room, I'm eating my pizza. He thinks it's a really good idea to go get a roll of, of toilet paper and get it wet in the sink, luckily. And he throws it at my head as I'm saying, so I hit this thing, I'm like, Shh. so I take the pizza box and just like throw it at him and cut his nose open. I was like, yes. <laughs> so the next Sunday at church, his mom comes to my mom. Yeah, your son cut my son with a pizza box. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Like it was just this crazy story. And during all of this, I remember... So I'm trying to figure out who I am. I'm like, who is Travis? Who am I? And I remember we went to this family reunion. And it's in Cardston, Alberta. And I'm walking with my parents. We're there. It's my grandparents are there. It's all the family relatives. We're cooking like some kind of, because they're all farmers and, and have feedlots. And so we have like beautiful Alberta beef is cooking on this camp stove. I think we were having steaks. And it was like glory to God. And it was just incredible. And I was probably like 11, 12 years old. And um, I remember all the like older guys were standing there talking. My dad was talking. And I kind of wanted to be part of that. And I don't know what I said, but something came off my lips. I wish I actually knew what I said, but it was very cocky. It was super arrogant and it was super hurtful to my dad. And I said that and I was trying to like, I was just trying to like be part of it. And, but I know it was like hurt coming out. And I like, and I said something and I knew I said something because he just froze. It got kind of awkward. I was like, ah, and then I remember this to this day, he took me for a walk. And we walked out to this ball diamond and we're walking along this ball diamond and he was really quiet. And I knew, I knew in my heart, I hurt him. Like, you know, when you hurt and I felt this separation, I felt like he loved me so much, but I felt this like, you hurt me. Like you really hurt me. And he didn't even know what to say. And, and I wish I knew what I actually had said. But I remember to this day, it, was, it didn't go away in just one, like, hey, I'm sorry, Dad. It was like a conversation for about an hour. And we, st we stood out there, and I remember crying because I could feel the pain that I had caused him. And I remember even a few weeks later, he had brought it up. Like, it was that monumental. And as I was sharing this, I talked to my mom, and she goes, yeah, I remember. Like, that was such a key moment. And I, and I think sometimes that, as I look back, you know, our arrogance, sometimes our cockiness, our pride, we don't realize it, but it actually separates us from God's love. He loves us, but it hurts him. It hurts him. And it's that hurt. And I think God wants to give us a healthy perspective of how it hurts him and what it looks like to be humble and to serve, what it looks like to honor. Um, I look back later on my life, I was working as an engineer and, and going to, um, you know, hiring people, doing all these things as an engineer, going into management of an engineering company, heard God's voice to quit my job. A week later, I'm serving a ministry, Extreme Dream, doing YC. And I'm there interning, making no money, just serving. And my first job was, can you lick stamps and go clean the storage room out? And I'm like, last week I was hiring people 55 years old, 60 years old. I oversaw six people. I was going to be a VP of a company. I had a company truck. Now I'm not 
getting paid for this. And I'm, can you go clean the storage room out? <laughs> it like, I was in that storage room and my heart was getting right with him because I was like, why does this bother me? Because I felt entitled. I felt like this is lower than me. This is, this is lower than me. Why is it lower than me? Why can't I serve? And see, God teaches us through these seasons of humbling. Do we hear his, do we obey his voice? He called me there, so he must have had a plan for it. He wanted to humble my heart. Would I obey? You know, when we look at the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But then he goes on in verse four, he says, you cannot mourn without appreciating. See, you cannot mourn without appreciating how insufficient you handle life on your own strength. Then he talks about meekness. You can't be meek unless you have the needed gentleness yourself, knowing that is humility. Verse 6, you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You can hunger. You, if you think of yourself proudly um, as already righteous, you're not going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's being humble that you need righteousness. You, you know, you cannot be merciful without recognizing your own need for mercy. Jesus said it's a person who forgiven much and loves much. To confess your sin and ask for forgiveness is an act of humility. Um, you cannot be pure in heart if your heart's filled with pride. God promises to exalt the humble, not the proud. Verse 9, you cannot be a peacemaker. And if you believe that you always have the need to be right, you're never going to be a peacemaker. It takes, uh, the peace happens when two people come together, when they humble themselves. You know, identifying with Christ, no matter the persecution in verses 10 and 12, when they're persecuted, you know, standing firm, that doesn't happen without humility. Putting down our rights, putting down what we think and saying, no, if you treat me that way, God still loves me. My value is in him. See, we learn humility from Jesus. Philippians 2, 5 to 8 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, becoming made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, the Bible in this passage talks about kenosis or the emptying of oneself. That's the concept here. Christ emptied himself. Christ emptied himself of his rights, his privileges to take on human flesh. He, he, he emptied himself. See, Christ was so compelled by love that he left his seat in a position of glory to come down to earth. He left a throne of splendor for the unwed womb of a teenage girl. He, he left that, that, that place of heaven to come into a messy, smelly stable. He, he, you know, he, he, he had favor. You know, the angel says to Mary, I love the Christmas story because the angel says to Mary, you found favor with God. Jesus is going to be in your womb. That's what he says. And see, favor is to serve. Favor's for something. It's to carry him. When God favors our life, it's not for us. It's to do something greater for him. Mary was favored to carry God. Any favor that we experience, any blessing we experience, any money that comes our way, any whatever comes, any relationship, any whatever dream comes our way, that favor that you experience is not for you, it's to carry him. That's what it's about. 
See, Jesus left the comfort of heaven for a dirty stable, the adoration of angels for the insults of people, of crowds, the glory of eternity to be beaten and shamed on a cross with criminals. He took on a nature of a servant and humbled himself for us. And Philippians 2, 3 to 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition, Paul says, or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of others. See, when he was born in a stable, he was cradled in a manger. He, he could say of himself, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to put his head. He never owned an acre of land. He Put, he, the, he, he put his foot or a foot of ground, but he created the ground. <laughs> he never owned it. He borrowed a boat. He had to borrow a tomb to be buried in. He didn't have anything. His whole life was an act of humility. Jesus is the definition of humility. And as we head into Christmas, I'm reminded of that, the, the word Emmanuel, God with us. And as I was praying for tonight, I just know in our community, we have been in a season where there's been loss. There's been loss of mothers. There's been loss of our sweet sister, Amy, who is a prayer warrior and key member of this community that brought Laurier here and others and was just an incredible person. And there's been a lot of loss in this season. And I just, I want to encourage you, Emmanuel, God with us. Words can't this Christmas, as we go into Christmas, and all of us probably have experienced loss in different ways in our lives, and sometimes Christmas is the hardest season because that person isn't here. But I just sense him saying that there's something about realizing Emmanuel, God with us, that he came down and he's with us, that he, he, he modeled that, he humbled himself. He was a God that's with us, and now the Holy Spirit is with us. And so your heart may be broken. This may be a really tough time. Words of others will not help you. But I just sense so strongly the Spirit of God saying, He's with you. He's going to comfort you afresh. The comforter of the Holy Spirit has not left you. And Emmanuel, God with us, is going to be so evident to so many of us this Christmas. We don't understand why, but we understand He works all things together for those that love. You're not alone. And I, and I believe this, and I said this twice tonight, but 2020 is a, a key year of breakthrough. 2020 is a key year of breakthrough for our community and for each of us. And I declare that. And um, Jesus humbled himself to death so that we would have value. Our value is not supposed to be less than what he thinks of us or more than what he thinks of us but we need to know exactly what he says of us and our value. That's humility. And I want to give just a couple, in closing, a couple practical things um, about how, how we live humble lives. How do we live this out? How do we increase humility in our lives? I think, number one, humility is a choice. Humility is not a natural instinct. It's a choice. It's a posture of the heart. Scripture says, humble yourself. It says in James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Matthew 18.4 says, whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I think you have to resolve in your head, I have to resolve in my head that the narrative of God lines up with what I think about myself. Um, not prideful or not self-deprecating. I think sometimes it's really helpful to think, what would a humble person do right now? 
oh, a humble person would take out the garbage. <laughs> okay, I'll take out the garbage. I should do that. I think that's really helpful. That's what I do. It's like, what, what would a humble person do right now? Because <laughs> I know too many times what a non-humble person would do. <laughs> that's just me. But um, hunger leads to humility. Um, Hunger for Jesus, if we're hungry for him, it actually leads us to a place of dying, repentance, emptying the cross, forgiveness. It leads us to going, God, I need to come with my sin, my shame, my fear. I need to come. See, if we're actually humble, you know, Peter Kreft says, if we come to God with empty hands, he will fill them. If we come to God with full hands, he finds no place to put himself. It's obedience. We can't say we're more, uh, we can say we're hungry for more of God's presence, but are we more hungry, are we, are we hungry for his obedience? Are we, are we obedient? That's key. When he asks us to do something, when he says, hey, get rid of that, stop watching that, change your, change this, change that, lay that down, lay that dream down, because it's yours, it's not mine. That's what it's about. I think teachable. You know, Psalm 25, 9 says, he leads a humble in what is right and teaches his humble way. Can you learn from anyone? Is anyone too insignificant for you to learn from? I think of Sir Is, is I can't even say his name, Sir Isambard Brunel. And he was a famous master builder of the Thames, uh, the River Thames Tunnel that goes under London. And his story was he's this master builder and there's these worms one day are eating his ship. And they're like digging through the ship. And instead of just killing the worm and being like, get rid of the worm, he like takes this worm and he starts inspecting how it's digging the tunnel through his ship. He's like, oh, it's, it's digging through the wood. I wonder if it could teach me how to dig a tunnel under a river. And so from that very worm, he learned how to dig the famous Thames Tunnel. See, he learned from that. See, so many times we look at the people on the stage. Oh, what are they going to teach us? What about the people beside us? What about the people around us? What about the people on the street that we're like, they could never teach us anything? What can we learn from those people? What can we learn? How do we posture ourselves to be teachable? I think, you know, the other thing is we can surround ourselves with humble people. Erwin McManus says this. He says, you know you have a drive to humility if the people you admire and look up to are humble. It's a good test. Who's around me? Are they humble people? Who, who am I filling my life with? I think serving, the definition of humility, serve. Jesus came to serve. You aren't serving until you do what you aren't called to do. See, like so many times we serve if, if it's like, oh, I'll serve if it fulfills my vision too. If it's like, oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to whatever. But will we serve when it doesn't fulfill our vision? when it's not about us, when it's more than me, that'll never come back to me, that person will never thank me, there'll never be anything that's going to impact me. I think that's true serving. I love, Dave Coop is a pastor of Coastal Church in downtown Vancouver, and I love, he said this, he said, as a pastor, I dedicate 10% of my time to the city and to the kingdom of God that will never come back to impact my church. He's like, I want to, if, if Franklin Graham comes to town, I want to help for the city. But that's not about my thing. I don't want to just build my thing. I want to build what God's doing in a city. He goes, 10% of my time is more than me. And I just think that posture is what, what are we doing with our time? How do we serve where it's more than us? Jesus grabbed the towel and cleaned the feet of the people. And I just think of that. 
they're never going to be able to repay him. He wasn't going, okay, I'll clean your feet, and then you're going to, like, chauffeur me around. You're going to be my Uber driver. It It wasn't that way. He saw their dirty feet, and he just, he cleaned them and showed them, showed us what it means to serve. He didn't need it for his resume. <laughs> he just did it. See, if we want vision, serve someone else's vision. And I believe God will show us our vision. That's so clear. So into what he's doing and blessing already. And God will bless what you're doing. Um, I, think, I think this point number six here is culture of entitlement versus gratitude. I think gratitude is the key to increasing humility. When we're thankful, we increase humility. My life is not my own. When I worship him, I don't deserve this life. Everything he's given me is his. I don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve healing. I don't deserve transformation. I don't deserve my career. I don't deserve what I get to do. I don't deserve the blessings, the clothes I wear. I don't deserve it. It's all his. I'm so blessed. And when I come out of a position of gratitude, not entitlement, it changes everything. Like, what are we entitled to? Are we entitled to a a good career, a good girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, a good life with no tragedy? No, I'm I'm entitled to a good life with no tragedy. Where, Where in the Bible does it say that we're entitled to that? We're entitled to him. We're just entitled to serving him and loving him. And God, we just say yes to all that you want to do. I think every time I go to a funeral, a gravesite, or a hospital, it's really good for me. I don't like them. But every time I'm, I get reflective, I walk those gravesites, and you see that little dash between two years. Saw it on Reinhard Bonnke's today. And you think our lives are that little dash. Everything we do is in that little dash. It's so insignificant, the stuff we worry about. It's like our lives are so, like, we worry about these things, but are they really important? You know, we go to hospitals and we see people that all of a sudden they get a diagnosis of cancer and they have hours or days or whatever, all these tragedies. And here we're in this room tonight. We're breathing. We have life. There's so much we can be thankful for. And I think when you have a spirit of thankfulness, it creates a humble heart. Because God, I'm just thankful for all that you're doing and all that I get to be a part of. So each of us are gifts by God. Life is a gift. The last thing I think, humility, is prayer. You know, um, Second uh, Chronicles says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. See, humility and prayer go hand in hand. To spend time talking to God is a humble act. It's a humble act. It's emptying yourself to someone you don't see, but you know is there. That takes humility. That takes an emptying. That takes, that takes, that, that puts us in a place of humility to ask for help, to wait on him. Um, I, I think um, God's spirit is going to move in undeniable ways in 2020 through this community. I sense that we're going to see growth. I sense that God's going to do things, growth in us as people, but growth as a community, growth in the cities, growth in the places. But as I I pray and, and, and think about this, we have to come at it from a humble place. Because when I look at past revivals and I see Azusa Street 
Azusa in, in the early 1900s happened in a horse's stable. It was in a low place. It was to a, where the marginalized preacher got up who was rejected by many churches because he wasn't the right color skin. It was that's who God used. And he transformed the whole Methodist movement to almost a ton of denominations that we see today and movements that we see today out of Azusa Street. I think of Evan Roberts, this guy in the Welsh revival that God used. I think of Toronto Airport Church, where there's this burnt out pastor in Toronto in a small airport church, and that's where God chooses to show up in an undeniable way. See, God shows, chooses to show up in the low places. His river flows to the low spot. And when we're low and we're near the ground, that's where God moves. And I sense he wants our hearts to be low. He wants us all to be low. How do we get lower? How do we get down? I think of Frank Bartleman who is talking about the revivals at Azusa and he said this, God has always sought a humble people. He can use no other. There's always much need of heart preparation in humility and separation before God can consistently come. I want God to consistently come. I'm going to read that again. God has always sought a humble people. He can use no other. There's always much need of heart preparation and humility and separation before God can consistently come. The depth of any revival, let me insert the word resurgence, will be determined exactly by the spirit of repentance that is obtained. In fact, that is key to every true born revival of God. Frank Bartleman. All I know is I want more of him. And if, we, if we're poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is ours, that, that we'll see that move, that the kingdom established here in Edmonton, in this city, in, in the province of Alberta, where there's 4.1 uh, million people in our province, in this region, in this nation, in the nations of the world. And I just want us to close our eyes and bow our heads in this place, and I just want to give an opportunity. The greatest miracle, the greatest thing, worship guys, you can come as eyes are closed and heads are bowed. The greatest thing that can happen in being humble and the moment of humility is to actually say, I'm broken and I need you to come into my life, Jesus. And I just want to give this opportunity, want to do it at every resurgence, but if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, tonight is your opportunity to say, I want him in my life. I don't know what you're talking about tonight, Travis, but I want that. I want that joy. I want a peace. I want a love. I don't even know why I'm here tonight, but I want to say yes to Jesus tonight. You know, I think with every eye closed and head bowed, I think of the story of a bird and a fish that fell in love. And they said, well, where can we go? They were stuck. They fell in love, but they couldn't ever meet because the bird was in the sky and the fish was in the water. And I think of God, you know, God and man, they're separated. We couldn't live together. We're separated because of sin. And then Jesus came down, he humbled himself, and he came onto the ground that he has spoken to existence. He lived a sinless life so that we could take our, so he could take our sin. See, he's the definition of humility. And the first step in being humble is saying yes to him so that we could be together, that we can be joined together, that we could be connected with him for eternity. So if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm just going to count to three. And on three, I just want you to just shoot your hand up. No one's looking around. One, two, 
If you're sensing, hey, I, I think I might, that's, that's an indication. Holy Spirit's working. Three, just shoot your hand up across this place if that's you. Yeah. next thing I want to ask with her eyes closed and head bowed is does the voice about yourself in your head line up with what he says about you? Not less or not more. What are the areas you've put yourself down? Diminished your value. Your purpose, your calling. Think about that for a moment. What are the areas that you've believed a lie? Now, what are the areas you've overinflated yourself, promoted yourself, made yourself bigger person than him, got in the way of him using you? you need to repent confess if there's some areas that you feel like yes I actually have to repent and confess I'm, I'm going to invite you tonight to um, find a spot either in the aisles or in the altar here and just come and kneel this is between you and God this is not for anyone else but just come and Get yourself low. Get into a low posture and come before the Lord and humble yourself. Say, God, humble my heart. Break the lies that I believe about myself that are not what you say. Just come now. If that's you, just, just respond right now. Just get in the aisle, get whatever. Make a fire hazard, whatever you need to do. For listening to the official podcast of Resurgence. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com.